Welcome to Al Leaders Lead, where every week you get to listen in while I interview some of the very best leaders in the world. I break down the key learnings so that by the end of the episode, you'll have something simple you can apply as you develop into a better leader. That's what this podcast is all about. Today's guest is Mickey Drexler, the legendary king of retail and former CEO of The Gap, J. Crew, and Banana Republic. And he really put all these brands on the map. These days, he and his son have teamed up to build a new clothing brand called Alex Mill. Now, believe me, Mickey is a hard-charging guy with plenty of conviction. And when you listen to him, it hits you. Just how compelling it is when a leader has a unique vision and really believes in it. And the thing is, visionaries like Mickey usually don't reach the heights they do unless they're willing to break some rules along the way. You're going to be so inspired by all the stories he tells of times he had to go against the grain in order to see his vision through, including how he helped Steve Jobs shape the timeless, clean aesthetic of the very first Apple store. If you're a rule breaker yourself, you're going to love this. And if you're not, you may just want to become one after you listen. So here's my conversation with my good friend and soon to be yours, Mickey Drexler. Mickey, our friend Bobby Brown, the uh, beauty guru, she she introduced us and uh, we set up a lunch a few weeks ago. And I have to tell you, I've admired you so much from afar that after that lunch, I felt like I'd known you for years. It was so much fun. I've really been looking forward to having this conversation. So thanks for taking the time to chat with me. Well, uh, David, I'm, uh, I'm excited and uh, it was great to meet you. And here we are. Okay. You know, I can't really, you know, I just can't wait to dig into how you lead and how you think. But first, tell us what you're up to these days with Alex Mill. Well, uh, when I left uh, J. Crew three years ago, I, uh, I was a little bored. Uh, and uh, I joined my son, Alex, who started the company six or seven years ago, with uh, a designer from my old company who, uh, who had resigned for a number of reasons of uh, from J. Crew, and when he resigned, I said I'm getting together with Alex and him, uh, and uh, we're going to have some. We're going to try to build a company. So uh, that's what I'm up to. It's a tiny company, uh, and I'm not used to such tiny, but uh, it's very <laughs> small. And it's called uh, Alex Mill, and and it's men's, and we added women's, and uh, it's it's kind of fun most of the time. But you don't have that big bank behind you of, you know, it was the bank of Gap, the bank of, uh, of J. Crew. But I'm, uh, we're trying to build a company. You mentioned working with your son and, and, you know, a lot of our listeners, they have family businesses. And what have you learned, you know, working with your son and what advice can you give people? <laughs> well, I don't, <laughs> I'm not sure I'm the one to give advice. It was, uh. We had a very hard first year or so, extremely difficult on both sides. And uh, we had a, I'll call them a coach uh, weekly. Uh, Maybe they're called a therapist, a coach, whatever. And we met regularly to try to work out the issues. Uh, I wasn't giving up on anything. Uh, And uh, I think uh, what I've learned is, Stop being a micromanager with your son. Uh, give him some space. Give him some room. Give him more credit. Uh, and uh, I, I learned that 
and uh, and I think he's learned a lot. But it, it hasn't been easy. Now we're kind of doing okay together. That's fantastic. That's good. But you know, Mickey, I know that you you weren't exactly born with a silver spoon. Uh, tell us about your upbringing. Well, I uh, I grew up uh, in the Bronx uh, on uh, Barnes Avenue near Allerton Avenue. Uh, my dad worked in uh, in the garment business uh, in a shipping room buying piece goods and uh, buttons. Uh, my mom was the secretary to uh, uh, the head of the YMHA in the South Bronx. Uh, she got sick at a young age. Uh, she died at 43. Uh, my dad was pretty impossible for me to live with. Uh, he was a person who, uh, I don't know if he, he just wasn't there uh, as, a, as an affectionate, loving dad. So I, I grew up, uh, I was, uh, you know, in those days you grow up, you go to school, kindergarten, you, no one's taking you. Uh, and, uh, and I never thought of myself as poor, but I certainly was not a kid with any, uh, any affluence in my family. None of my family had that. How that experience shaped the way how you lead? Huge, huge. When I went to work uh, in my dad's building, uh, and I say I went through the freight elevator, I always identified to this day, millions of years later, with people who are fighting to succeed, who weren't born with a silver spoon in their mouth. Uh, and I didn't know anyone who was born with a silver spoon, frankly. Uh, and uh, to this day, it's really to me about you say hello. I know it sounds silly, but you say hello to people who think you're, think you're important, you are important. Respect, respect people always. Uh, and it made a huge difference in my life. I always say you learn uh, to be a leader in a sense by watching those who either lead well or don't lead well. You know, I understand, Mickey, that your first 10 years of business, the, you know, that you, you actually hated it. I, you, know, I, uh, you know, why was that? And, and what did that teach you when you were coming up? Well, I, I would say, I, I, due respect, to uh, Bloomingdale's, A&S, and Macy's. Uh, I didn't like it, okay? I hate bureaucracy. Uh, I don't like people who don't listen to an idea. Uh, I don't like people who, when I say, I mean, they're fine people. I, I just, but, but I, I found many people are employed to protect their jobs. And uh, it took me a long time uh, to get over that. Well, I, I, it didn't take me that long a time because then I decided I'm going to take a shot at maybe running a company. Well, you're in Bloomingdale's and it's, it's kind of a, a bureaucracy. It, you know, so a lot of people get stuck in these bureaucracies earlier on in their career, but you had to do well there to move up. You know, so how did you go about distinguishing yourself even in this tough environment? Well, you know, it's interesting. I, I was very lucky. I started at Bloomingdale's. Uh, my second, first day was in housewares. I, I didn't know where a pot or pan was and I'm like intimidated. Then a fellow named Stan Stern moves me into a apparel department in what was then the Lexington shop because Barbara St. Ange was on maternity leave. I get there. I'm running a, a business, uh, and I loved it, and I did it for six months. I went to the market every day, and no one was teaching me other than I, Stan uh, was kind of giving me my free reign, and I had a great time with no boss and following my instinct. Uh, I remember what was selling. 
and it was just a total turn on to me. Uh, and then, uh, and then I had to go to the branches, which I hated. This is all then. And I came back and that was kind of the end of my most fun. Oh, and I was a sweater and swimsuit buyer and a t-shirt buyer. After that was over, I was in, in the movement of corporate bureaucracy. And I said, I just don't want to be here anymore. And I found the same thing at, uh, Macy's, uh, and I found it worse at A&S. And I found, I got very lucky to get a job at Ann Taylor as the president when I was 35 years old. Uh, they offered me the job. I said, no, I said, no. And a friend of mine said, take the job, run a company. It's much better than what you do right now. Ann Taylor at 35, Mickey, that's impressive. You know, and, and what did you learn from that? And how much anxiety did you have going into a big role like that at such a young age? <laughs> well, anxiety, I always had that. I went there and I was 35. No one told me what to do, uh, but I just did what I thought should get done. And uh, I don't know, maybe, look, I'm a nature versus nurture guy. And I always, I think I was lucky I had a touch. And I followed my instinct. And no one ever told me I can't follow it, except in the big department stores, they wouldn't listen to what your instinct was anyway. So I, I think I was very fortunate to go work at Ann Taylor. Uh, by the way, it was a tiny company then, just so you know. Uh, it, it was like 25 stores. And my friend said, take it, run it and then uh, build it. So we built the 55 stores. Unfortunately, we were taken over by the biggest bureaucracy in the department store business and allied stores. Hey, you really love this bureaucratic yeah, stuff, right. don't you? I can't. <laughs> well, I hate, it's not that I hate authority. I hate authority without uh, a normal explanation or this is the rule and you do it. And I think most people don't allow people to, to kind of think the way they should be thinking as a leader or as whatever. And uh, I always found that I followed my instinct. If I was wrong, I was wrong. Uh, and uh, yeah, I don't, I don't like the authority. Uh, only because <laughs> you, know, you, you had to argue about everything you wanted to do. Well, you did a great job at Ann Taylor. You got noticed. You know, you were seen as a leader. Then you get asked to go run the Gap. What did you inherit when you went to the Gap? And, and what did you do to, to hit the ground running? Gap was going bankrupt unless uh, it was fixed. It was about a $430 million company then. I'll never forget, I moved to California. I left Ann Taylor on a Friday, moved Sunday, uh, and was checking in and out of hotels for six months, which was not the way to commute or to get a new job. Uh, I, uh, I went, I, I started. Uh, culturally, uh, I was hugely... Uh, uh, I think the word's depressed. Uh, I, I went to work at uh, uh, San Bruno, California, facing the airport, facing the bay, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, it was a nightmare. And the company was a disaster. All the inventory was bad. And so I faced bad inventory, a culture that they couldn't connect to me, uh, and I couldn't connect to any of them. San Bruno, California. And uh, it was, it was, and my wife and I both kept saying, what the hell are we doing here? Uh, I, I, was, I was quite depressed. Uh, we had a public company uh, and uh, the stock, I started taking markdowns. You know, if you have 
if your food is not is like stale, you got to get rid of it. So my first day always on new jobs, I look at all the goods and I look a nightmare. And the way they thought about things was a double nightmare. And who is this guy from New York? I'll probably be the third guy fired in this job in the last three years, which is which was, was the case. And I started taking markdowns. It was a week of uh, Thanksgiving. Uh, in uh, I'll never forget. And I walked through and I, I, first things I looked at the inventory. And while you're looking at the inventory, you're making judgment on people. Because without the right people, without people who you see have the potential to get it. Uh, and that's really all you're working on. Because most of the time, in an environment that's opposite of how you think, uh, you don't know who's good or not good. And you really have no one to ask. So I sat down and met with everyone who was merchandising, designing, and I got a sense of them. Uh, and then you're fighting all day long because, you know, you're just fighting a lot. And Don, who was terrific in a lot of ways, was uh, not a merchant. You know, he started the company by, um, by having Levi-only stores. And 35% of our business was Levi's, of which was a big disaster. And they were buying rigid Levi's, not the wash kind. And uh, I was just liquidating inventory. And Don, about a month later, calls me into his office and says, we were right next door to each other. He says, what is going on here? We're going to have a horrible, horrible quarter. I said, you have to. You can't keep these old goods. And I said, you got to take your markdowns. You got to do this. The stock, now this is the part that was also torturing. The stock went from, I think, 23 or 24 to 12. Now, I'm the president of the corporation or whatever, and I'm watching the stock drop in half, and it had to. And he was upset, I understand, because he didn't understand why it was dropping in half. Anyway, long story short, uh, you, you work every day. You never give up. You train. You push. You have to have your own ideas implemented, and you're taking those kinds of risks. Uh, and uh, it wasn't fun. The first two years, I'll never forget, I got to November of 83. Uh, we were going to go bankrupt, I think, August of 85. Uh, we, <laughs> we, we redid 400 stores, put brand new goods in 400 stores, new campaign. August 15th comes. Every store was redone. Don and I went through every store in the company, redid it, and I did all the goods. All the new goods brought people in who I knew from uh, from Ann Taylor, and I'll never forget the company took off like a rocket. Now, of course, you don't appreciate it as much because you're still afraid. How will you make the figures next year? I don't know if you went through, through that in the restaurant yeah, business. You know, beating year ago is always a tough one. You, yeah. you know, Mickey, I've I've always found that consumers aren't really good at telling you what they want. Right. How, how did you go about determining what direction you wanted to take? Well, um, for me, it's always been inside of me. Uh, uh, but, but one of the things is I always admired certain companies. Uh, I, I, just, I felt that everything in America was too expensive. Ralph Lauren, I always admired Ralph. I thought his clothes were too high. Uh, I like Benetton in Italy, uh, point of view. Uh, Brooks Brothers then was very profitable. They had their own label, uh, and um, and I liked what they did. And they made a lot of money, and I watched them destroy themselves 
through cheapening the goods. So what happened here 20 years later or 25 years later? No surprise. They've been working on cheapening that company for 25 years because I watched the then CEO take workmanship out of the clothes. I'll never forget sitting in a meeting. He said, I want to maintain the price. We took this zipper away. We got it cheaper here, a cheaper there. And that's why they're a disaster. I don't know what they'll do with it today because I'm not sure they're going to go back to building a great Brooks Brothers again. So, uh, but it was, uh, it was really very, very difficult emotionally. Uh, but the company took off like a rocket. I never really appreciated it. We were the number one stock on the stock exchange, I think, for 10 years. What did you learn from Brooks Brothers that helped turn around the business? Well, or, you know, I, you picked- I, I, I learned Brooks Brothers, I should say, was owned by the same parent company as Ann Taylor. So I got to know a lot about what they did. And it was very simple. Your name is Brooks Brothers on every label. And by the way, no one could take that away from you. And you don't have to worry about discounting uh, or competition. So that's what I learned. I I also learned don't take the quality out of product because they were doing that. When you went to Gap, did did you walk in there saying, hey, listen, I'm going to have my own label and, uh, you know, I'm going to make sure we have high quality. And I mean, how do you, did you have that winning formula when you walked in the door? Well, it's funny. Uh, I had a list of products when I worked at A&S. I wanted to open a, a business, but you know, then you couldn't go out and, oh, give me 20 million. I'll start a company. Yada, yada. I had a list of products. I said, America needs these products and they need them at this price and they need it in color and they need it in classic clean things. They need it with style. That was my startup. So when I walked in the door, at Gap, uh, I think um, uh, it was about price, value, etc. So, uh, and by the way, the funny thing is, <laughs> Gap had about fifteen names. You know, they had like the number one. They they were arguing. Foxtails was the name of the jeans collection. I walk in there like I'm in a foreign country. By the way, Foxtails. What kind of name is that? They had about fifteen names like that. And then they say surveys tell you that that's one of our most popular names. I, and I'd say, well, surveys will now tell you. I don't care what surveys tell you. It's going to be Gap. That's our name, Gap. Uh, you think I spent a lot of time in it? Are you? Of course I did. Uh, Tiger Tales, Gap, this name and that name. was. <laughs> it was weird. <laughs> it, it was really weird. And, and I learned that vision thing is so important, you know? That, that, that vision thing, and, and the more research you do on certain things, I mean, I watched Steve Jobs for 16 years. Guy never, he never did like a survey, you know? Yeah, speaking of uh, Steve Jobs, just for our listeners here, you know, I understand that he actually recruited you to join the Apple board, and you turned him down. Now, Mickey, I, I thought you were a smart guy. You know, tell us that story. Well, it was a stupid move. Uh, I... Um, uh, well, I actually, I turned down Ann Taylor three times too. It was not smart. You know, I was a conservative guy. Steve came up to me and I basically don't like being on public company boards. Yes, I was as stupid as hell because Steve, uh, by the way, is the most seductive human being. May he rest in peace. I love Steve. He says, I'll tell you what, uh, I'll join the gap board if you join my board. And I said, deal. And he did exactly what he was called to do. I didn't speak to him. He was a troublemaker. He'd come into the meetings late. 
he'd come in and start to make a, he just created a lot of problems. And no one really liked him except me because actually I loved him when he came and, and he would argue and he would say this and he would say that. Um, and uh, so that's how we did the deal. So you went on his board and he went on yours. Exactly. <laughs> well, you know, what do you think Steve Jobs learned from you, Mickey? Well, you know, it's a good question. I know he, he wanted me there because he wanted me to help him in retail. Uh, and uh, Steve is the kind of guy, uh, we maybe all have friends like this, no matter what, you feel stupid. And uh, by the end of a meeting or whatever, uh, the first, I designed with him the first store. We killed the design and then we designed from that. I, he might have learned common sense because in Silicon Valley, it's just not, there's not a lot of long on common sense. Uh, so he might have learned that. Uh, and, uh, but retail colors. And then once he learns from you, he takes it and runs with it. So you did the first Apple store with him, huh? What was the big insight that you had that maybe he wouldn't have? Well, it was not, it was, uh, it was kind of simple. Uh, uh, the stores, it was a tchotchkeed up store. It wasn't clean. It wasn't simple. It wasn't timeless. And, uh, the first thing was, we walked in, we had a warehouse we took. I said, get a warehouse and build a store. So uh, we walked in and I said, Steve, this, it was just really horrible. And, and you can't really explain what a horrible store looks like. Try to explain to anyone, oh, the store is horrible, uh, which is one of the issues I have in life. That's ugly or that's nice. And how do you explain ugly? I don't know anyone can explain ugly or nice. So uh, we, uh, we designed a store together. Uh, we, uh, I forgot who the architect was. And to me, it was always, it was white, clean, and showing product. Uh, and a store you'll be really comfortable being in. Uh, and that's, that's what we did. Uh, and I, I mean, the stores still feel the same. He became the greatest retailer in the world really fast. And um, he, he just, he studied and he asked people, and nothing stopped him from learning. Uh, and he acted like I worked for him, which was fine. I was proud to be uh, to get, get woken up in the morning or late at night. It was, you know, this is Steve calling. That's all right. I'll be, <laughs> I'll be there. <laughs> you know, uh, you had an amazing run at Gap, and you led pop culture with your marketing and advertising. You created fantastic work, and and as a leader, how'd you go about getting? great work from your ad agency and the creative people. Uh, first of all, it was never an ad agency. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm allergic to ad agencies. <laughs> uh, it was well, why is that? Well, the first ad agency we worked with was, I forgot the name of it. We're in a meeting with five of them. I know one guy, the key guy is sleeping. I swear I'm not exaggerating. He was sleeping. And uh, that was my first experience with an ad agency. Uh, I find agencies... Uh, first response is to their agency, not to you as the client. I don't want to deal with account representatives. I want to deal directly with creative people. I want them to hear what I have to say, and I want to tell them what I think. And those people work for you. And the great, and by the way, the, the great commercials we did and the great ads we did were all about people who worked in the company. One, uh, Maggie. Uh, worked with me at Ann Taylor. Uh, she wasn't a marketing person. Uh, she just was very creative and did the uh, 
individual style, the dance thing, the uh, old Navy, uh, the old Navy uh, campaign, which was probably one of the great. So, how did you get the great work out of them? I mean, well, know, I mean, obviously, you know, creative people have got to be motivated. What? How did you get great work? Well, what you do is you articulate and you feel and you. Uh, it's a really good question. It's hard to answer. You've got to. They, they've got to be excited. They've got to understand your vision, uh, and you never give up. You you to be successful, as you know. You just don't give up, and you must have a vision. You can't be going and, and, and taking surveys of all your customers. You've got you to see around corners, and you've got to feel it, and you've got to have an idea and a feeling, and then you've got to bet on people. And I was very lucky. What, what, what advice do you give someone, uh, Mickey, to, on, on how, to, how to see around corners? That's, that's a nice little phrase, but, I mean, you know, well, how would you – how would you coach somebody on doing well, it? Well, I don't know if it's coachable. Uh, I, I, I'm not sure that a lot of things are coachable. I think that the, the, some of the genius people I've met or work with have a knack. It's a knack uh, of instinct. It's always an instinct. Uh, and and I'm, not, I'm not against doing well in school and studying hard, but it doesn't teach you how to be great at food or selling. Like in your business, you know, you were describing to me two weeks ago uh, what dishes are great in some companies. So you described that to me, and maybe it's the pickle on a hamburger. I, I think you've got to let people know it's detail and everything's important. Like, like before I was on with you, I had a meeting about just creativity. And I, and I was talking about it's all about creative people and then operating people who can back them up. That's what, when I think of my career, I'm very lucky to have worked with, well, it's not luck. You got to pick them. You got to chase them. You got to recruit them. You got to find them. Uh, I was on the phone with someone uh, just before about, regarding social media. How did I find her? Uh, I found her through asking a lot of people who is good at this job or that job or another job. And then you interview, you recruit them, you seduce, you do this, that, and the other thing. But you feel the energy, you feel the creativity, you feel the operating skill. Now, that being said, I'm not good at picking a, a, a someone who was a technologist. I wouldn't know the first thing because they'll talk to me and I won't know what they're talking about. When it comes to merchandising and marketing and style and taste, uh, and, and, and common sense that I'm good at. You went to The Gap, which was an established brand that was struggling and, and you turned it around. Uh, it, but then you had the opportunity to create Old Navy from scratch. D tell us your thinking, you know, how, well, how did you go about leading the, the development of that brand? Well, it's interesting. I used this last week in, at Alex Mill, tiny little company, I said, don't give up your secrets. I, I was in a fight. Hopefully they took it down today from the website. I said, don't you dare tell anyone what you're thinking in, in any industry. So I'm reading an article in the New York Times, page three, that Target, then called Dayton Hudson, starting a company uh, called Everyday Hero, and it's a copy of, of Gap. Now, everyone was copying Gap then, Walmart, this one, that one. Uh, you know, it's a price of success. 
I fly to Mall of America to see the store when it opened. I said, this is the worst copy of The Gap I've ever seen. They had our old fixtures. They had this. But I said, you know, knowing I don't know the company well, I'm guessing they did a huge amount of research. Uh, huge, I'm guessing. Because I think they were a research type. Nothing wrong with it, uh, if that's your culture. I went to, uh, so I looked at it. I said, we could do it much better. I'm not sure what I'm going to do much better. I went to visit three stores in Chicago that had the demographics of a discount kind of store. We took a lot of markdowns, that, 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 that. So uh, I came back. I gave uh, 10 people $200 each, and I assigned discount stores to them. I assigned categories, and I said, go shop. I want to learn something, because I was, didn't know anything about Target, you know, Kmart, that, that, that. And I gave them $200 each, which was maybe four. Well, it's 25 years old, so it was like 400 or 500 And I said, come back in a week or two, tell me what you learned. I was looking exactly for what they said. There was 10 of them. And oh, the other thing is uh, jeans in America then, uh, J, uh, Gap was 35 bucks and above for all jeans. Uh, and uh, J, the, the America was $30 and under was the jeans business gap. All our jeans are 35 and 80% of the jeans in America were under 30. So I'm saying, Oh my God, I am so out of it. I didn't know that. Cause I was not like a, I was a merchant with value, but not at that level. So uh, I come back. They told me everything I wanted to hear. What did I want to hear? It's about the product. It's about value. It's about fashion. It's about, you know, not, Ending in eight ninety seven. I was curious because uh, Walmart always ended in eight ninety seven, nine ninety two. Long story short, I said, "Let's do it." Right after the meeting, I told Don about it, uh, and Don was always very kind of okay. I'm starting a new company; it'll take fifty or hundred million or whatever. So uh, I didn't know it then, and I took someone from Gap. I took three people from Gap. And I said, "Okay, we're going to open a new company, uh, and it's going to be." Uh, well, we didn't know the name of Old Navy, but we took the name from a bar in Paris, uh, driving to the airport, Old Navy Bar. <laughs> great name. Uh, a great, <laughs> great name. name. And it was free, by the way, <laughs> because I paid uh, for, uh, I bought the name uh, Madewell for $125,000 uh, and didn't know what I was going to do with it, but I bought it personally before I joined uh, the company, uh, uh, J. Crew. Uh, and so I bought the name Old Navy. Don and I may rest in peace. We fought about it for at least a month or two. I hired two naming companies, spent probably a half a million to a million for bad names. And then, you know, we said, okay, we're calling it Old Navy because we don't have any other names. Like a rocket. It took off like a rocket. <laughs> I'll never forget it. And uh, now it's, it's, I think, 8 billion of gaps, 14 billion. Yeah. I think it's 80% of their profit. So uh, yeah, it was a fantastic job. It's hard to believe, but you know, they do say that that death of someone you love, divorce and getting fired are like the three most devastating things that can happen to you on a personal level. And you did a phenomenal job at Gap and you actually get fired. How did that impact you? <laughs> well, I <laughs> usually I hated it. I, first of all, I'll tell you what impacted me mostly. And uh, it was the way it was done. 18 years uh, value from 160 million, I think, to about 8 billion. 
uh, and family became uh, incredibly wealthy. Uh, and uh, you know, I did well. Uh, but um, so Don, Steve Jobs calls me one night uh, after a board meeting. He never showed up at the board meeting. He said, you're getting fired tomorrow. Well, they didn't want to tell him. I said, oh, I kind of, then I started putting two and two together. And I knew no one looked at me that night. You know how it is when you're getting fired. <laughs> no one looked at me. We had a great collection of new goods. I fixed, what I did is I, I you know, you fix it. It's a fashion business. So um, I called Don at nine o'clock at night. He's, oh, I can't talk now. Come and see me at eight. Hands me a letter to leave. I, I said, and I was like, did I steal? Did I do something? 18 years, leave. Today's your last day. And I, I said, I can't believe this. And I was really, I mean, I didn't say it calmly. I said, Where, where's your decency and integrity? The board thinks this. I, did I do something wrong? Um, and I went to see the board. No one looked at me. And then I uh, called my lawyer. <laughs> and <laughs> I said, hell. I was not. It was it was horrible, horrible, yeah. and eighteen yeah. years, eighteen years. Have you ever gotten over it? Yeah, you know something. I'm, I got back to New York, and my life. Yeah. Is, uh, San Francisco was okay. I, I love New York. Hey, back, Mickey, I got to ask you something. Yeah. How do you fire someone? How do I fire someone? Uh, yeah, I, uh, I I look at them. I chat with them. And I, I'm nice. I want to work at it. I, by the way, I'm as friendly with everyone I fired. By the way, if you think about my career, I am not, I'm a firer. You know, as, as the head of a company, uh, I fired a lot of people. It's a chat. It's, they knew it's not that word. It's like, I think at the end of the day, they have to trust you. They have to know you are, uh, and, and no one's surprised. They're never surprised. Because you're sitting down, you're not filling out forms. I think you're just telling them, uh, look, you're not doing well, uh, and I'm concerned. And you just tell them, please, uh, uh, I'm going to ask you to leave. Uh, I do. Look, I, I have a lot of sense and feeling for people. But at the end of the day, uh, I have a thing. I think about my dad. Uh, this is, I, I always think about him. He made $15,000 a year. and. Uh, and sometimes when I look at people I fire, they're making, well, whatever the numbers, 500, 600, 300, 400. And I say to myself, you know, they deserve to be fired because they're not doing a good job. And that takes a little of the sting out of me on firing them because it's fair. Because once they, they're affecting other people, and I always say, someone you're firing, is impacting the lives of many people. And I usually fire because they're not doing a good job. They're bad leaders. Uh, they're not nice to the team, uh, and they're very political. Uh, and uh, so I always kind of think about. I grew up with nothing, and uh, my father didn't have anything. And I, when I took the payroll to the bank, I knew he was the lowest paid guy in his coat company. So and that helps me through. And I say it's not fair life, but. That's the way it is. Now, on the other hand, I understand when you're hiring people, you, you interview almost everyone that's hired at any company you're in. You know, why is that so important to you? And, and what do you look for? Well, it, it's a cultural thing. I look for curiosity. I look for learning from them. 
uh, I, I want to learn after I spend a half hour an hour with them. I got to learn something about them and what they have done in their life. Uh, and so I always look for that. I look for an energy you feel. Uh, you know, I just got off the phone uh, about an hour ago with a woman who grew up in Buffalo, New York. Very talented, I hear. And she was. And we just talked about Buffalo, the curiosity, where do you live? I was at the hamburger place, uh, the Kentucky Fried Chicken. I lived behind that, 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 that. And uh, I, we had a great half hour discussion. And I talked to the ballet dancer. Uh, and she worked for a very good company uh, and then went to be uh, a consultant. And you just, you, you kind of know there's a connection and a curiosity and an intelligence level. The day before, I interviewed someone in the same area. And you know something? The more you spend time chatting, it's a chat, uh, you learn if they're good or not good. So, uh, but, but I like, and I can't do it with the technology people. I, I, I just can never figure it out. So, you know, after you get, you know, let go at the gap, you, you almost immediately go in as the chairman and CEO of J. Crew. You know, did you know what you were going to do there the, the, the minute you walked in the door? Or how'd you go about learning the business? Well, I always admired, uh, always admired J. Crew, always liked the company. Uh, and I, it's got its instinct. You know, they were, they were a great preppy ish company. And uh, you, you also, one of the things you also do, which I didn't mention before, except the Gap, they just sold a lot of crap. Uh, at at uh, J. Crew, it went to hell. But you start to dig in and see where there's a little asset that sells something that gives you a, a hint of where you take a company. And in, in, that, in that case, there was enough hints to take it someplace. But for me, it's always about style, value, fashion, uh, and not crazy fashion. That's, that's what I do. Uh, and it's always kind of the same, but it's also having the team to do it. Without the right team, you cannot do any of these things. He said, you must keep your blinders on when you make change. Don't let the noise get in the way. Right. How did you learn that lesson? And tell me a time when you know that that noise didn't stop you from doing what you knew you had to do. Well, uh, I think I live with the noise because when, when you go into a company like Gap uh, or Banana Republic or J. Crew, you can't listen to anyone. It's such a disaster that you have to sit there yourself and follow your instinct. Usually you have a couple of people you call and you say, am I crazy? You know, we always have to have that my crazy thing because, you know, it's very hard uh, to do it on your own without at least someone to talk to. Uh, so I always had a small little group. Like, in fact, uh, tonight at 6.30, I'm having a meeting. On how do you get Alex Mill on the map? So uh, I'm, you know, so I, I called 10 friends of mine who all are, when I say friends, people I know who all are really, really strong marketers. And uh, you kind of, and that's the meeting. In fact, one of, one of my friends who is a, a, an advisor said, I think it's time for you to get more famous. And so you never know where you're going to learn or what you're going to learn. And I'm a learner. I have great curiosity. And I always want to call someone who can teach me more than I know. I'm always astounded by people when they hire other people 
they're not making the phone calls they need to make. You know, it's unbelievable. <laughs> you're, you're, you, Mickey, you are so confident, so convicted. You, you got to scare the hell out of some people. I mean, how do you get people to, to let them know that you really want them to come back at you and take you on? Yeah, you know, it's a really, it's a tough question because right now, hello, 15 people. I keep saying, will someone please answer me? Tell me what you think. Uh, it's, uh, after a while, it's kind of trust. It's this, it's that. I, I, I don't want to, like, I'm not a know-it-all at all. I, I, uh, like the other day, I, ha- I have these discussions. And, and age-wise, a lot of the very young people don't want to listen to an older guy who's been there and done it which is crazy. But uh, over time, by the way, you got to hire the people who are going to have a chat with you. Uh, and it's hard to find them. Uh, when I, um, But I, I find them, you know, if you're lucky. There's usually most corporations, you, you know this, you got three or four or five partners. If you have them, you're going to really do well. Uh, they're going to they're gonna understand, they're going to talk to you, they're going to fight with you and all that. You know, I understand you, when you were J. Crew, you moved your desk out on the floor of the, your, your headquarters, uh, or whatever you call it, and, yeah. and you go on the loudspeaker. Tell us about this. Well, yeah, the loud. the first day I got there, uh, I was in an enclosed office. And, you know, at Gap, I had an open office. And, you know, all those years, it's like, you know, you can see everyone. Uh, you got to watch someone walking towards you on an interview. They say they got to walk fast on an interview. They walk slow on an interview. It's not good. If they're walking down the hallway <laughs> slowly, it's not good. No, it's serious. This is what it's like. So I'm in this room and I'm thinking, what am I doing in this room alone with doors? So uh, I was a CEO office. So I moved my desk and then I'm making calls and no one's answering. Uh, you know, we had two or three floors, actually a lot of people there and no one's answering it. I cannot wait. I cannot wait for someone to call me an hour later or two hours, especially when the ship's going down. And by the way, to this day, I want people to respond to my emails within an hour at most unless whatever. So uh, I'm waiting for an answer. I'm waiting for this. I'm waiting for that. And I said, there's only one way to do it. I never like I didn't think about it. I put a loudspeaker in the first week and I said, will so-and-so please call me right now? And it ended up being a fantastic tool to work in because it enabled me to ask people questions that I want to have answers to, whether it's about merchandise, whether it's about real estate, uh, whether it's about you know uh, who lives in, I could say, who lives in uh, St. Louis when we were opening stores, uh, what do you think of this center versus that? Uh, and uh, and I, it was a little bit of a radio broadcast on 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 telling people what goes on. I learned this lesson. It's all about communicating and what you've learned. And you know, today it's interesting. I, I like with podcasts. I do podcasts. And I really like them. And the last one I did uh, was I thought it was pretty interesting, just as this one will be. I send them out to the office. No one has ever told me <laughs> they listen to my podcast. Now, I called Bobby <laughs> Brown the other day. I said, Bobby, let me ask you something. You do a lot of podcasts. Does anyone listen to your podcast or do you know? She goes, they never say a word, whether they listen to it or not. 
And I said, well, what happens if I went in one day? How many people listened to my last podcast? <laughs> she goes, just keep your mouth <laughs> shut. And don't ask. Okay. <laughs> anyway, so, uh, but, but, you know, I like to learn and I like to see who's doing something smart and wise. And that's the way it is. You know, you told me over lunch that you're only as good in retail as your worst salesperson. And so how do you go into a store? What do you look for? Who do you talk to? Well, I, I well, right now, unfortunately, we have only one store and I don't go in, but uh, I used to go in and first of all, you, you want to feel an energy in any store. You want to feel a, a real energy among the people. I will talk to anyone and everyone. I will have meetings with the store teams regularly. I will talk to a store manager. I will call them up. I want to know what's going on and who knows better than a person in the store dealing with customers. That's the way it is. And I don't understand how people don't take advantage of that. Maybe, maybe they do take advantage. I'm learning every single day. And the most important people I learn from are the stores, especially when you have a business that's going bad. So you bring people in and you say, tell me what they're looking for. What don't they like? What's wrong? What's this, that, and the other thing. And, uh, it's, it's mandatory. You obviously attack the business with the daily intensity. There's no question about that. But rumor has it that you're actually a hell of a lot of fun to work with. <laughs> what, do you, what do you do to create a, a, a fun work environment? Well, uh, right now, I'm not sure I'm so much fun at Alex. No, I, don't get, I don't get enough smiles or laughs. Maybe they don't know me well. Who knows? Uh, you know what I do? I, I, it's a good question. No one ever asked me. I think I have a sense of humor. Uh, I love people. I love to schmooze. I'm a total schmoozer. And uh, I think I'm, a, uh, I think people, uh, how do I say this? I grew up shy. I grew up not being a schmoozer. Uh, and I love the fact that I, every day I'm busy with really good people. I love the people I work with. And, uh, and that's fun for me, but it's tough. You know, that part's fun. You just be yourself. And the, you know what people want? They want someone who's honest, direct, has a sense of humor, uh, and, uh, and, and, is, and gives respect to people who are there. You, you respect what's in their brain. I don't know if that's fun, but yeah. whatever. You, do that. <laughs> you know, speaking of fun, I want to have a little more fun with you. I've had fun with this conversation, obviously. You know, but how about a little lightning round of Q&A? Are you ready for this? Okay. Uh-oh. Okay. What three words best describe you? My wife's right outside. Should I ask her? <laughs> Whatever. Determined. Determined. Focused. Focused. Uh, loving. Loving. Wow. Oh. Good thing she threw that loving in there, you know? No, that's good. Hey, that's good. What would be your biggest pet peeve? People who aren't fast, who don't respond quickly, uh, annoys the heck out of me. And don't call you back fast. If you could be one person beside yourself for a day, who would it be? Bruce Springsteen. Oh, good, because that's you get to be the boss? I love Bruce. He's fantastic. <laughs> I always, he is the best. I know him a little, and he's just fantastic. What business leader, Mickey, would, do you admire most today and why? Uh, I, I have enormous respect for the Google guys. Uh, Mickey, I know you starred in Breaking Bad with a you know, right. big part. <laughs> that you, you know, do, do you have any other hidden talents besides acting? <laughs> nope. Except my little two, my, my two little labs are here hanging out, but no, I don't. What's something about you that few people would know? Um, 
I am extremely sensitive, and uh, and I, uh, I I feel badly if I do something that uh, that it's, it's not nice to people. Now, here's one that I, I think you know. My daughter wanted me to ask you this one. You know, what's the your, your the favorite article of clothes that you personally created, and what's your favorite outfit you love to wear? Favorite article of clothes that I've created. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, I didn't I didn't invent a chino or a jean, but I make a lot of them and sell a lot of them. Uh, I would say, tell your daughter, uh, it's it's. Uh, jeans but i'm transitioning into chinos <laughs> uh you know i'm starting to wear chinos uh versus jeans mickey what advice okay you you seem to think that as far as i can tell you seem to think that you're either creative or you're not okay yeah so what advice do you give to someone who wants to be more creative i mean hi you can't just throw up your hands and say, hey, I can't do it. Uh, you know, creativity comes in many forms. So uh, my, my creative is probably more related to product, marketing, uh, et cetera. Uh, I'm sure, well, in any area in, in the world, uh, there's creativity. Food, hello, right? I mean, uh, you, you're in the food business, mm -hmm. technology, creative. I think uh, I, I'm a big believer that... Um, you're, you're handed down certain things, uh, but you can't develop them if you're not. So creativity, and I don't want to just, it's my version of creativity, but uh, I don't think you can become creative unless you have curiosity, always. You must have curiosity. You must, uh, but I, I think you're born with it, frankly. You know, Mickey, you ran public companies. I mean, and everybody in public companies talks about, you know, developing their successor. How much time did you spend doing that? Well, you know, it's a really not enough. And, uh, well, here's the, well, I got fired at Gap. At J. Crew. Uh, terrible uh, succession planning. I had nothing to do with developing my successor uh, because they hired someone who uh, was the wrong person, uh, beyond the wrong character. Uh, and one of the things that annoy me most in my career is how that was handled. Uh, it was handled by, they hired this guy, and I had nothing to do with it. And I said, don't do it. And they did it. And I own a good chunk of the company, which I don't own anymore because it's not worth anything. When, you know, now it's out of bankruptcy or whatever. But uh, a sore point for me. And the thing I learned is, you know, business is business. Financial people are not clothes or hamburger people. And uh, I say that in respect to your world. <laughs> so uh, um, I, I had nothing to do with it. Nothing. Zero. <laughs> no, one asked, no one asked my opinion about the transition from J. Crew when I left. No one. Yeah. You know, Mickey, you've had so much success and you've earned every bit of it. You know, how are you helping others today? Well, Peggy and I uh, have a foundation and uh, it's devoted to uh, people who are um, uh, disadvantaged. Uh, and Peggy has uh, also, she's become a documentarian has had four uh, documentaries she's made 
and our foundation supports them based on, uh, um, you know, like ACLU now is uh, the force she just produced. And uh, it's about, I think, teaching people uh, who, again, are disadvantaged in that regard. So I think that's how we do that. Uh, uh, that that's where we are. And frankly, uh, I don't have a lot of time now, but we, uh, we're, we're taking care of that. I don't want to say in our afterlife, but uh, we are uh, working on, on a plan at some point to, uh, you know, to, to give to the right places. But we give uh, mostly the disadvantaged uh, 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 people, organizations, education. Great. Mickey, I got one last question here I want to ask you. Good. Okay. Got a lot of aspiring leaders who, who listen to this show. You know, what three bits of advice would you give them? Uh, don't give up. It's really hard. And you're going to worry like crazy half the time. Like no one, no one really talks about the anxiety and, uh, of, a, of a leader. No one talks about the insecurity of leaders. No one is, there should be group sessions in my mind about what we all go through. Because I don't know any good leader who's not worried half the time. I don't know how you are, uh, David, when <laughs> uh, but but uh, I don't know anyone who doesn't worry every day about their business and cares like crazy. All right. Uh, n- number one. Number two, uh, uh, know that uh, you're going to hit a lot of walls uh, and, uh, and that happens. Know that you're going to follow your inside instinct about what you want to do. Uh, and don't just listen to people because they have an opinion. If you ask someone something, make sure they have the credentials to give you a good opinion. And and again, I go back to, um, you got to be incredibly, and you got to be smart. Hiring the right people is critical. And hopefully you have a good idea. Yeah, that's great. You know, I I remember, Mickey, uh, reading an article in Fortune magazine. It was about your success that you had Gap. And you had, in retail, same-store sales is everything. You've got to keep growing your same-store sales year after year after year. And you talked about a plus-10 mentality. And does that come from your your chief worry officer mentality? Yeah, you know, uh, it, it does. You worry. You don't get up any day not worrying about either hitting last year's figures or whatever. And it never stops you know, never stops. Well, Mickey, I, I, it's great to know that you are never stopping. I mean, you know, you are, you know, you're still building things. And I, I expect Alex Mill will be another uh, another home run, given the energy that you're putting into it. We're, we're, we're working on it. I, I'm, by the way, I'm nervous about that. You know, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I figured that. Yeah, right. So uh, anyway. <laughs> I appreciate you taking okay, the time. David, you. I appreciate this. Great. Uh, really enjoyed it. Anytime. Take care. Well, that was clearly one of the wildest lightning rounds I've ever had. And such a fun conversation with Mickey Drexler. To be totally honest, the retail world as we know it exists because Mickey Drexler wasn't afraid to break some rules. And boy, did he ever. I mean, I can just imagine him dragging his desk out on the floor. Can't you? 
or installing that loudspeaker so he could get the feedback he needed from his team. I mean, this is a guy who has absolutely no patience. I'm talking about zero patience for bureaucracy or anything that's going to get in the way of his vision. And he's not afraid to do whatever he needs to do to see it through, even if it means breaking some rules. Now, I don't think you need to go out and buy a loudspeaker, but I do think there's a huge opportunity to learn from Mickey here, and I want to offer you a bit of coaching to help. This week, as part of your weekly personal development plan, I want you to think about some small rule, some bit of bureaucracy that's been slowing you down as you're working towards a big goal. Better yet, ask your team what's slowing them down. Then ask, what could you do to bypass it? Can you cut through some red tape, even if it means ruffling a few feathers? Believe me, when you do, you're going to get some joy doing it. Great leaders know that sometimes it's necessary to really push their vision, and nobody is a better example of it than the one and only Mickey Drexler. So do you want to know how leaders lead? What we learned today is that great leaders sometimes have to break the rules Thanks again for tuning in to another episode of How Leaders Lead, where every Thursday you get to listen in while I interview some of the very best leaders in the world. I make it a point to give you something simple on each episode that you can apply to your business so that you will become the best leader you can be. 